listener. Car Sales acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Hello, Mike Sinclair. Hello, Greg Rust. I've missed your face. No one ever says that. <laughs> no, I did miss it. Getting my sights on my gun lined up and, yeah, missed, unfortunately. Welcome to the showroom. We've gone full circle in our great uh, talent bank that we have, all the awesome people that are a part of car sales that review and drive and tell you all about them. And we are bringing them in as panellists on this podcast periodically. Everyone's come in for a, a turn. So this is round two for you. Does this mean you kind of turn up with the report card, how we've all gone so far, boss? Yes, Gregory. And uh, if you can take a seat, um, I'd just like to let you know that we've got big plans. And I'm not in them. You're not in them. Yeah, sorry. The warning sign was Gregory. The moment my my mother calls me Gregory, it means I'm in deep trouble. Gregory Robert. (laughs) Coming up in this program, speeding fine or slap on the wrist. Sinkers is going to get on the soapbox again too for unpopular opinions. You all set for that? Absolutely. And it will be unpopular, trust me. Standard. Standard for you. We're going to bounce through some news from not going down the fixed price agency path, which some manufacturers have done, to losing some all-important safety ratings. And Justin Hochfar, head of uh, APAC for Enios Automotive, is our special guest in the studio. And if I'm looking at the rundown today, the kind of flavour here, even in the classifieds, when we look at an amazing Land Cruiser, it's got a bit of a 4x4 flavour today, doesn't it? It is. I've absolutely, I've brought my cycle, I was going to say my cycling shoes, I've brought my hiking boots in. (laughs) Can we kick off though with, I think highly appropriate, we're still kind of early in the new year with some of the models that we can expect to see in the showroom in 2023. Well, just before I do that, Greg, mm. I want you to ask you, how many brands do you reckon are active in the Australian marketplace? Oh, crikey. Uh, 50. So, so 50, I don't know, call it 53. spot on. It's, yeah. there, there's, look, there's 60-something brands that yep. report each month, but probably, you know, a good 45 to 48 of those are really, really active. So if you think about it, each brand launching a couple of cars in a year, and some of them do a lot more than that, there's going to be plenty to look at for everybody. So we've nailed it down to 15. The first one, sort of top of the list, and I'm not sure whether this one's top of the list because we buy utes or we buy utes and therefore um, that's all we want to talk about. But Aussies love utes and the Volkswagen Amarok, one of the real favourites, is going to be brand new for this year. Based on the Ranger, um, they hate us saying that, but it I is. I know they do. Yeah, that was yeah. Mike, Mike Sinclair that said that uh, VW comms department, Mike Sinclair underscore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, look, very much um, paired with the Ranger, but with enough Volkswagen touches for people to get excited about. I think um, Bruce Newton was in South Africa driving it. Pretty impressive vehicle, um, and I think that's going to be one of the biggest launches of the year. There's lots of other good stuff coming, though. One of the ones that excites me all-new BMW M2, that should be something that gets the juices flowing and, you know, who knows, probably going to uh, win another bath six hour before too long with that car. I've seen the new GR Corolla in New Zealand. Lots of noise and excitement about that within the range of, of GR offerings. I mean, you talked about four-wheel drives a moment ago too. There is something uh, Hilux GR orientated too to be excited about this year. It's the swan song of this current sort of Hilux lineup. you know, wider track, 
a little bit of tweak to the engine, but a lot more equipment. So any new Hilux gets a lot of attention from buyers. So uh, if they can sort out the supply, you'll probably find that that one's uh, right on the top of the list. Brand new Mustang. Yeah. Um, that's going to be interesting. And obviously, of course, that's uh, going to be echoed by what uh, the guys are racing on the, in the Australian Supercar Championship. I love the look of that uh, that thing. And just while we're talking Ford for a moment, new F-150 as well. Can we talk Ferrari for a moment? You may need to run this by the legal department, Michael. What do you think of the new Purisang? Uh, it looks like a nicest Mazda 3 I've ever seen. Oh. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> this is Ferrari's SUV. And uh, I guess the positive side of this is that it's already sold out. Ferrari will make an absolute poultice out of it and hopefully they'll put some of that investment back into building cars that we really want to drive. <laughs> Not one in the long-term garage uh, over your way. Now, we have also talked about C63, and and that has uh, featured in a previous episode, incidentally, of the showroom, which you can find in our in our library. But this is pretty significant change, isn't it? Yeah, it's a massive change, and it's sort of, you know, bittersweet. It's the end of the V8, really, from a Mercedes point of view, particularly in, you know, C-Class. But what you're getting replaced with is a very, very high-powered four-cylinder drivetrain with electrification, which produces way more horsepower, way more torque than the V8 ever did. So uh, my colleague, Mr. Fien Tor, drove the thing, still fizzing about it, still telling us how good it is. Now, I have to preface that by saying... Fien says that about every new car he drives. <laughs> He's a fan. He's a fan of every new car. But no, seriously, he uh, he did say that it's uh, it's a different car. It's not the C63 of all. It's not the sort of fire and brimstone, you know, car that we, we know in the past with that wonderful sounding V8 in, you know, a couple of generations. But it is an, an absolutely effective tool and it's going to be really, really quick. I'm seriously torn here, mate. Is this a, a, a head says, heart says kind of scenario? Because the wonderful history that car has had with the V8 power plant and the very, pardon the, the pun here, rusted on kind of fans of uh, of that car, this is a huge shift, mate, isn't it? Well, it is. But I, I mean, I think if you remember back, there's been two generations of V8 in that car. And the first one was a naturally aspirated 6.2 litre. Mm-hmm. And then when the turbo four, twin turbo four litre came along, everybody said, oh, it's not the same as the six litre. It doesn't sound as good. It doesn't do this, doesn't do that. So we evolve. If you look at the amount of, in pure performance terms, it should satisfy everybody. It sounds fantastic inside. It's got a bit of a, uh, you know, an organic soundtrack. It's not really a V8 soundtrack. It doesn't sound that good outside, but, you know, let's face it, who are you trying to impress? All right, so that's what's to come this year on the showroom, but we want to crack in uh, on this uh, this episode with a major launch. That's how we start every uh, round of the showroom. Long-anticipated one, uh, mean-looking, very cool-looking uh, Enios Grenadier finally being let loose in Scotland, and our own Mike Sinclair was over there checking it out. Can you do a James Bond impression for me? Come on, maybe. Not, uh, not a chance. Not a chance. I won't even try. Who is your go-to James Bond? I mean, from Rob. Roger Moore to Sean Connery to, come on. Look, I still think Daniel Craig's doing a reasonable job. I think they retired him and killed him off a bit early. But, um, you know, you know Roger, Roger was just laughable. George was forgotten. Sean, well, you know, Sean is the classic, isn't he? Mm. I suppose a sausage sandwich is out of the question. Uh, Mike, <laughs> for those who don't know Enios, why don't we just start this whole discussion from that point of view? Who's it owned by, et cetera? 
Oh, look, it's a really good story, this, and I'm a bit excited about it because it's my sort of car. Mm-hmm. It's uh, basically a heavy-duty four-wheel drive. So, But going back to the start, so Jim Ratcliffe owns Ineos. It's one of the large – he's one of the richest men in the UK. I'd like to say he's got more money than God. He probably does. <laughs> and he basically owns the conglomerate that is Ineos. Ineos is a, one of the world's largest chemical companies. It owns sports teams. It owns a third of the – AMG Formula One team. America's Cup. So he's a man who uh, obviously likes to diversify. He's also a very keen outdoorsman. He's lamented the fact that another brand, and let's call call a spade a spade, Land Rover, killed off the Defender. He didn't like that idea. In the very early days, he looked at buying the tooling to take over Defender under another name. That wasn't the right way to go. So he basically anted up about one and a half billion euros and decided to build his own car company. And the result is Ineos Automotive. And the first product from Ineos Automotive is the Grenadier. Okay. So the reason I went all kind of Scottish, I have Scottish family heritage at the beginning of this, is because you got to take it uh, to kind of bond territory in some respects and check this thing out, didn't you? Yeah, the launch was in, the launch is part of what they call Expedition One. So they're traversing the length of the UK, which is about Seven and a half miles, isn't it? But <laughs> I joined the expedition at Inverness and drove through for two days. It was a pretty tight timeline through the highlands, um, through some fantastic scenery, through some fantastic heavy-duty off-road conditions. But the the Grenadier was basically pre-production cars or early production cars put through their paces and, and really gave us at least a, an initial look at how this vehicle will perform, particularly off-road in Australia, and it's all pretty good. So just take us there a little more in terms of first impressions of it. What's What stands out at you? What's good about it? What's, you know, given the story you've just told about the, the brand, what sort of things might um, need to be tuned in your mind? Let's go back to what this vehicle is, and it's not a, um, if you like, an X5 competitor or anything like that, even though it does have a partially BMW powertrain. That's Ineos have partnered with BMW for the engine and ZF for the gearbox. It is a heavy-duty body-on-frame off-roader. So it's a steel frame. It's a steel body with alloy panels. It uses a choice of petrol or diesel six-cylinder BMW engines, as I said. It uses bespoke uh, suspension. The axles are built by an Italian tractor manufacturer called Carraro. And this thing looks a bit like a cross between a Defender and a G-Wagon, to be honest, but... Ineos at its core says this vehicle is built on purpose. That's their that's their catch cry. Mm-hmm. And so the design has been done to do what it needs to do. It's got lots of really interesting, intricate pieces to it in terms of how the team there have honed this design to do what it needs to do off-road. So it's got really good wheel travel, Brembo brake package, got all the sorts of things, all the electronics that you need, not necessarily all the electronics that would be in a modern car. So it is, uh, I guess, a really interesting blend of old and new in some ways, and it's taken the traditional off-road, heavy-duty off-road route and built it with modern technology, but only the technology it really needs. So interesting vehicle, um, rides really well, seems like it'll climb a vertical wall, certainly drive down a vertical wall, you know, weighting depth of 800 millimetres standard. There's been an awful lot of amount of thought put into this vehicle, and ensuring that it is, you know, a proper tool. 
what doesn't work? What in your mind kind of stands out about this thing that that um, needs improvement? I've I've written a big long you know launch review on this. Probably way too many words than the boys ever wanted, but it is a brand new vehicle. So, and the way I've summed this car up is it's polished but not perfect. I think what you need to appreciate is that because this is an off road tool, first it's not perfect on the road. Mm-hmm. You know, the steering's a bit vague. It's a little bit woolly on centre. It's not going to turn into the corner like, you know, some of the polished SUVs people are used to driving, but it's a hell of a sight better than, you know, older Range Rovers or, for instance, you know, old Defenders or that sort of stuff. It is very much a purpose-built off-road vehicle. It will still be very, very comfortable on the road for long distance and those sorts of things. It'll probably tow pretty well. I haven't done any tow testing with it. We'll have to do that when it comes here. So, yeah, I think we're giving it a cautious thumbs up mm-hmm. and really interesting to see when the final production vehicles get here, you know, how they compare to the vehicles we drove. Okay. A little later in the program, we're going to catch up with Justin Hogfar from Enios uh, rather to chat a little bit more about this car and why they're kind of ready to take on the world in, in terms of uh, 4x4s and, and what we can expect from them in our local kind of marketplace here. And if you want to read about the extensive coverage of the Enios Grenadier or any of the other news that's happening in the marketplace right now, best and only place to go is carsales.com.au. Okay, time to change lanes a little bit and sink our teeth into unpopular opinion. Something that's got us thinking in the last little while, maybe while Sinkers was out driving somewhere. Sinkers, what is your unpopular opinion? Both sides of the electric is the only future debate are wrong. Both sides are wrong? Both sides are wrong. This is something we strike all the time, and obviously we spend a lot of time talking about electric vehicles. We have a podcast that does entire, that's entirely all it does, um, and electric vehicles are an important part of the spectrum going forward, but they are only part of the spectrum. There is not going to be one solution for every automotive requirement going forward, and that definitely is not going to be electric. That's a hell of a U-turn for some organisations that have committed to this path, mate. Well, look, I think the interesting thing is that you talk U-turn and companies are already U-turning. You know, BMW has U-turned. They have said that they are not going to be all electric. Ford has U-turned. They have said they are not going to be all electric. The fact of the matter is that you cannot change the laws of physics and electric vehicles will be good for some stuff and battery technology will evolve and make them even better for some stuff. But if we look at the INEOS that we've just been talking about, There is not going to be an electric battery pack that's going to allow you to put a three-ton boat on the back of your four-wheel drive Mm. and tow it quickly from here to Queensland. It's just not going to work. You know, Porsche is spending billions of dollars creating synthetic fuel and they're going to be spending billions of dollars in Tasmania Mm. in in the next couple of years to create their first full production plant. Now, the pilot plant's in Chile. It's creating hydrocarbon fuel out of electricity and air. I I did think that was really telling when they committed to that, knowing the great things they've done around um, Taycan and so on. Now, you said in your unpopular opinion here, both sides are wrong. So why is the other side wrong? Come on. The side where it says that, you know, electric cars just don't work, well, they do work. Mm. They work for a whole group of people. Now, they might be people who live in cities, for instance. They might be people who don't drive a long way. 
But in Australia, a significant percentage of our population live in four cities. Our average commute, our average drive per day is less than 35 kilometres. For many of us, particularly if we have solar on our roof or we can charge at home, you don't need infrastructure now to go to an electric car. You can do that right now. So, you know, I think absolutes are always dangerous. The people who say electric's the only way to go aren't right. The people who say electric will never work aren't right. The answer is somewhere in the middle. For 125 years since the car was invented, something like that, we've effectively had one solution, and that's been the internal combustion engine, whether that be spark or diesel. Mm. Going forward, we'll have a lot more. The Electric Vehicle Council online too for you, Mr Sinclair. Uh, you can you can send us an email if you would like, podcast at carsales.com.au if you've got a, uh, a view on this. We'd love to hear it. Hang on, and Rusty, one more prediction. Go. I predict within three years that Volkswagen, who said it's going to be all electric, will come out and say, well, we're maybe going to do some other cars as well. Ooh. To the archive team here at Listener, let's just highlight and park that for a future episode. That's big. So, Rusty, um, you know, you're known as the uh, great peacemaker <laughs> in racing circles, in, uh, you know, the, the man that, that uh, has always got a smile on his face. You can't possibly have an unpopular opinion, can you? You know me. I'm a non-confrontationalist. It's on my business card here at Listener. Now, I have uh, – our listeners can't see this. I'm going to show you because we're chatting to each other here in the studio, right? i got a police fine here, right? I'm showing it to you. So I got a fine very recently, and I did a straw poll on my private Facebook about this, so among friends, uh, industry colleagues, etc. So the fine, which happened over the Christmas period, was for 70 k's an hour alleged speed in a 60-kilometre-an-hour zone. So limit exceeded by 10 kilometres an hour. Criminal. It happened on the other side of the ditch, I need to point out, and I got fined the grand total of $30, (laughs) right? Kiwis. I told colleagues this and friends, and my Facebook went crazy with what it was in their given state in Australia, and some of them were really, really hefty fines. And it got me thinking, Greg Murphy, who's a big road safety advocate over there in in New Zealand, four-time Bathurst winner and so on, he laughed at me and he said, oh, gee, Gregory, I really hope you've learnt your lesson there with that $30 fine. And that's exactly my point. People can talk about revenue raising or the crazy cost of fines and so on, but the overarching response from my friends was, far out in Brisbane, it's this, or far out in Victoria, it's that, yeah. and it it scares them. I'm not sure where to start on that because a 30 buck fine, talk about revenue raising, wouldn't cover the costs of actually sending the letter to you. Exactly what I said. The admin wouldn't be covered. Having said that, I think the current total concentration on speed and fining people for going over the limit, for small amounts over the limit, particularly in Australia, is counterproductive from a road safety point of view. So a couple of thoughts to finish here. If the money, which the governments are budgeting on going up every year, which I I hate, was going properly back into the terrible state of roads and better driver training, better safety things, no problem from me. And here's the little sting in the tail, sinkers. I paid the fine. I thought, Gregory, you've been a silly boy. I know it's only $30, so I paid the fine. And then I put it away on the, the desk at home. And then I looked at it again this morning before we recorded the podcast. And you know what? It's my wife's car. I wasn't even here. I wasn't even here that day. I'm innocent. Oh, I paid the fine though. <laughs> hey, before we leave this subject, I yes. just want to touch on an experience myself. And I had a wonderful holiday in Spain a couple of years ago, and I ended up driving fairly quickly from place to place because I 
didn't want to spend too much time travelling. I wanted to enjoy the towns I was in and then started getting all these fines because, you know, nobody gets fined in Spain for speeding, do they? But apparently they have got speeding cameras. But the great thing was if you paid them early, you only paid a quarter of the fine. Oh! So there you go. There's another thing. You know, New Zealand could actually give you a pay early your wife's fine and that would then be 15 bucks. And if you want to check out the electric vehicle podcast that Sink has mentioned there a moment ago, it's called What's Under the Bonnet. And you can listen to it anywhere you get your podcasts or for free right here at Listener. Now, earlier in the show, Mike chatted about an awesome trip to Scotland to kind of Skyfall territory. It wasn't that good. Oh, you think? Well, Skyfall bit was good, but Haggis was terrible. (laughs) You ate Haggis. I cannot believe that. Uh, But it was all for the launch of the Enios Grenadier. And by all accounts, you know, really uh, mean-looking, cool car, potential competitor to some of the 4x4 classics as well. And we're lucky enough to be joined now in the studio by Justin Hochvar, a regional, rather, head of APAC for Enios Automotive. And we are thrilled to be talking about this car and your connection to the brand. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Mike. Good to be here. And uh, I'd just like to make a small correction on the haggis. Uh, I think he did partake. He did partake. Haggis rolled in panko breadcrumbs and deep fried. I mean, you know, like you could deep fry anything in panko breadcrumbs and I'd eat it. I cannot (laughs) believe that you ate the haggis. Justin, help us straighten up and fly right here. What's been the reaction in Australia to the the brand and the launch? How's this all been received? Yeah, the reaction has been overwhelming, uh, incredibly positive, you know, which is really pleasing for us, the team here and the global team, because uh, Australia is the land of many 4x4s with a long history of 4x4s and still, you know, the passion for 4x4s is alive and well, so... We think we can really find a home here. How important is Australia going to be as a market for for any sort of idea generally? I think it's become increasingly important. Uh, You know, the original plans were not as great as they are now, but our initial order take really surprised us. And uh, the enthusiasm for all of the touring events that we've been doing have been completely booked out within moments of us listing them. And of course, when we go to any of the 4x4 shows and caravan and camping, ag shows and the like, we just get a, an incredible response from from people of, I'd call it, all walks of 4x4 life. Does that mean that with that sort of change, I guess Australia had some input into the car or, you know, in terms of the testing. Has that expanded? What's happening as because of that interest? Yeah, Australia has had quite an active role within Australia, New Zealand and, and the whole APAC region. And, and we had early prototypes out here, hand-built 2B prototype, uh, doing some early testing. So we were able to identify issues ourselves, identify opportunities to improve. We were able to take on board a lot of the feedback that we received from, from the various different potential buyers and, and agents as our distributors, let's say. We were able to collate all that feedback and package it up and you know, help put forward a, a compelling commercial case to, to the central team. So Grenadier is essentially, it's a fixed price model. You'll be able to order your vehicle and configure it online, but you've got an interesting way in terms of the partners that you've got sort of at the coalface looking after consumers. It's not just the traditional dealer model. No, and and nor is it this absolutely just uh, an e-commerce model that with limited bricks and mortar representation. It's somewhat of a hybrid model in that regard because... 
you know, let, let's say we were, you know, a new EV company coming to the market, which was mostly going to sell vehicles predominantly into, you know, large urban islands where, you know, people have lots of access to charging and, and scoot around and don't need as much network coverage. The nature of the beast, you know, in having a, a purpose-built four-wheel drive that is a platform for modification and, and you know, equipping it in, in your whatever use case you have means that you need experts to support you with that. Now, that could be everything from demonstration to buying decisions to trade-in and financing, and et cetera. But, but also, um, it, it's with regards to the after-sales care. So when we went out there, we said we wanted to have an online and offline model that was in unison and keeping in step the whole way through. And the best way for us to achieve that model was to ensure good inventory control. We didn't want a wholesale relationship where we just pushed our inventory into the into the market and sort of left it at the whim of whoever. And secondly, we wanted to have a no-haggle, simple um, approach to pricing. And, and you know, we're doing this at a time when the agency model has got a little bit of a dark cloud over it because some of the journeys that have taken place in the Australian market and, and some other markets around the globe so far haven't been particularly smooth sailing. And that's left a little bit of a sour taste. But funnily enough, when we went out there and approached the, the market with an agency model, with this type of product and the simplicity of the model, you know, not too many hoops of fire for partners to jump through. I think that they're really warm to it. But of course, you know, the great attraction in this market is if you've got um, a compelling four by four offering. And of course, now with the dual cab coming to market, you know, these are key categories. So, you know, I think it's been yeah really well received. And lots of accessory and after sales opportunity, obviously. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, even you know, if you think about the trading inventory, um, you know, the potential there. You know, this is this is stuff that's in really high demand. Justin, I think you guys are big on that whole built for purpose. How kind of modification friendly is the the Grenadier, and is that something that that whole notion of third parties and adding things on um, that you've you know taken into account in the in the design? Yeah, look, I think the platform has been developed absolutely with that in mind. Um, it needs to be a blank canvas for people to develop their very specific uses for. You know, and whether that's an overlander or somebody that, you know, I don't know, it's a veterinarian that, that's going to equip the back of it with jaws and, and so on to go out in the field in the middle of the night and you know, pull calves. So what I, I think what we've tried to do is as much as we can support them with the equipment and the choice of the equipment through our configurator, et cetera, to achieve that. But where we can't offer a specific build that they want, uh, one, we've got an agent network that understands how to do that and support it. Two, we've engaged with the aftermarket, something that not all OEMs do that much. You know, we've seen a little bit of it, of course, with Fords working with ARB, et cetera. But what we've tried to do is go out to the aftermarket and say, here's our blank canvas. You guys are the, the subject matter experts on, you know, s- certain types of equipment. Well, what do you need? Mm. Well, you know, what can you bring to the table? Now, I, I think, you know, obviously the question also when it comes to modifications, sometimes that, that deviation in the, in the, you know, the original engineering of the vehicle is an area where a lot of OEMs get very nervous. We're going to take a very pragmatic approach to this. If you do something silly to the vehicle that damages the vehicle, you're going to have trouble with your warranty, right? <laughs> Pretty straightforward, that. Right. But if you do sensible things to your vehicle that, you know, don't compromise its engineering intent and performance Mm. and so on, then we'll take a sensible approach to it. And if we look at things like you've done on the car, and I'm sounding like an Ineos salesman here, so apologies, but, you know, like just the fact that you've already got auxiliary switches in the vehicle ready to go, but, you know, many manufacturers do that, but these are actually wired 
And effectively, all you need to do is basically take a plug off, put some wiring in, plug the a component in, and you've got an on-off switch um, all the way up to you know a 500-amp circuit to run a run a winch if you need to. Yeah, correct. If, if you have a look at some of the fault cases and major warranty concerns that a lot of 4x4 owners have, they're generated from electrical gremlins. And it's often the stuff that many different stakeholders have had to play with the vehicle, yeah? So they've gone to, you know, wire in different things with different people. You know, hacking into modern wiring looms is treacherous business, right? So so what we wanted to do is provide something that was ready to go, wired in, fused in, all the switch gear that you could really plug and play. So it's not just car dealers that you've... That are your partners around the country. You've got some bike dealers. You've got some four by four specialists, which I thought was a really interesting. What we wanted to do was have a really good spread across the country. I think we've stopped twenty nine. We'll be thirty soon. Agents right across Australia. Five of those are in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Adelaide, and Perth. So the remaining twenty five are really spread out across regional centres, and that's what helps give us network coverage across the Australian population, particularly within the segments that we're operating in to a very high percentage, well into the 90% of the population coverage. Do you think that that decision to really skew that to regional areas has given, as a new brand, has given more confidence to the initial buyers? Yeah, that, that was absolutely intent. Um, I think it does, you know, both to private buyers and also to some early conversations with some, um, you know, fleet buyers, whether that be small to medium enterprise and small fleets or, or larger ones. We really wanted to get things as close as possible to, to the customer without stretching, you know, the commercial reality of our network. But also, we wanted to experiment a little bit. And so we appointed a couple of motorcycle dealers because my experience with motorcycle dealers is that they have a really close relationship with their customers. You'll find customers hanging out on a weekend. They're there on a Saturday morning for a coffee. They're on a, they're on a Sunday morning for a bacon and egg roll and then a ride with the staff. And that's the kind of relationship that you don't necessarily get in a modern automotive um, retail outlet. You've taken a big punt on Ineos Automotive. As you know, as much as somebody's buying a car from this new brand, you're basically putting, you're becoming the face and name of it. What were the things that tipped you over the edge? One, it's an exciting product. Having the shackles off to, to look at a new business model and develop it from the ground up with a clean sheet and to be challenged to think outside the square, to really look at what customer attitudes are towards traditional auto, you know, institutionalised auto retail and say, well, how can we flip it on? Not necessarily flip it on its head. What can we take as, you know, what are the really good attributes and what are the things that we know really stink? Let's eject that stuff and and just and focus on the good stuff. And um, building a team. We're a really small team here in Australia where there's 14 of us here in Australia. We've got a couple in Singapore and another one up in China at the moment. It's a really tight-knit team. Partly also aided by the fact that we're out there really at the coalface of customer interactions. You know, we, we don't filter our uh, customer interactions through an, uh, an agency, let's say, that, that runs our events. We, we go there, we man the stand, we talk to customers and, and we get to hear directly from them what they're excited about, but also what they're concerned about. Interestingly, Ineos Automotive, you, you know, this car came out in terms of visibility way, way earlier than any established brand would do it. And, you know, you, you think that this car has been three or four years in the making, but in fact, it's come to market extremely quickly, yet with a huge amount of work behind it. Yeah, the testing in plain sight approach that we took, you know, not hiding everything under a bush until the last minute and going, voila, here we are, you know, the red velvet comes off and the bow's there and 
we, we really took a far more pragmatic approach to it. Now, you know, obviously we didn't have an existing portfolio of products to protect. That certainly makes it the decision a lot easier. But also it was an excellent way to yeah, gather that feedback along the way and really see, you know, test a few things and see what people liked or disliked. The double-edged sword, of course, is when you're testing in plain sight, everybody goes, when is this thing going to get here? <laughs> it seems to be taking a very long time. Whereas, you know, when you only get snippets of information every six months, time passes quickly. So when is the bloody thing going to get here? Uh, well, yes. So, of course, we, you know, we've heard early prototypes in country already um, running around. And, and at the moment, we've got um, about 18 cars in Australia and a couple in New Zealand running around um, so that our, particularly our order holders can get you know, close and personal with those vehicles. It, it, you know, it's great validation for them. In terms of uh, the new vehicles turning up, they've been built. You know, we're starting to, we, we've already started to build um, both our own stock for, you know, press cars and, and fleet vehicles and, and our agent networks demonstrators. But also we've started to build customer cars. There has been a real backlog getting them out. Uh, some delays that we're, you know, we're not happy with, but we're managing our way through. Those vehicles are starting to hit the water already. So... You know, I'm expecting them to start turning up in April based on current shipping schedules. But really, you know, the bulk of it starts to ramp up, you know, after April. Justin, can I get a sense of your customer? And are you a perfect example of what your, your customer is? You have a great sense of adventure. You've done long motorcycle rides over time, things like that. Who is this going to, in the Australian market, appeal to? And my, my question is kind of loaded because we are so in love with, you know, um, 4x4s and, and things like that. Who broadly are you going to uh, attract to your brand in Aussie? There's sort of four target audiences for us that, you know, we're really focused on. And it's sort of on a spectrum between, I'd, I'd call it work and play. At one end of the work spectrum, you've got the big fleet business, you know, that could, you know, hopefully in time, it'll be government and, and forestry and emergency services. You know, we think we've got a great platform for any of those potential buyers to look at. Next to that are people that would that, that would use it mostly for work. You know, they, they could be on the land. They could be a tradesperson that needs to haul something heavy. It might also be their play toy on the weekend. And I think that that's where it comes into the, the lifestyle thing. You know, there's people that you know, work long hours in the city and, and dream of escaping and, and going on a trip. You know, the four-wheel drive represents family and, and adventure to a lot of people. And and so that means you've got a really broad mix of different people that, that you know, are going to hook up a van or a horse float or the Malibu wakeboard boat or, or the dirt bikes, or they're just going to throw, you know, a rooftop tent on it and, and disappear, you know, over the Easter break to explore a new part of Australia. And then, of course, the, on the far end of the play is the, is the real enthusiasts that, you know, they love to modify their vehicles, they're probably 4 by 4 club members, they're real overlanders, et cetera. So that's really the the sort of the four target audiences that we're focused on. I just can't wait to see how many are going to be in the inner north in Melbourne. If, there's, uh, if they're like defenders, they'll be parked cheek to jowl in Northcote while they're all getting a coffee. Well, we welcome one and all. <laughs> we, uh, we, we don't discriminate. <laughs> in our sales to anyone. Absolutely you know? not, nor should you. Justin, you, you've been ace with your time and for coming into the, the studio today, which we greatly appreciate. People can read um, Sinker's uh, detailed story by going to the I car sales website. I think it's 4,800 words yeah, currently. I'm sure the editor's screaming. Can we finish, for those that are listening to the podcast that may not have read it yet, with 
And, and you've already detailed about the the ability to personalise here when when a customer comes to you. But a kind of price point. What what sort of things can people expect when they're looking to buy with you? Really, really, pricing kicks off from about you know ninety seven thousand dollars. Now that's um, for the Grenadier full time four by four and a blank canvas ready to go. Um, petrol, diesel, same price. We try to keep that as simple as possible. Uh, and then sitting on top of that, you've got um, essentially two packs, I would call, you know, call them. Some people refer them as a model, but essentially they are a sum of um, different types of equipment that might suit some of our buyers. So one is more aimed towards, you know, let's say utilitarian and off-road use. Um, so things like raised air intake and diff locks and dual battery. Uh, so that's called a trial master. And then uh, at the same price as that vehicle, you then have the field master. So field master's got a few more, um, a bit more amenity. And they're about, I think, um, from memory, one hundred and one hundred and nine five two five or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they're they're sort of, um, you know, let's round them one hundred and ten for those two yeah. models. and um, I mean, you know, that, that's it's a six figure number. It's it's a big number. But when you look at competitive vehicles, plenty of people are spending a lot more money than that on vehicles that won't be quite as capable. I can say that rather than just saying it, and you know, and potentially um, maybe not as refined in some ways. Thank you for taking our M to Skyfall. Unlike the movie, he came back. So, <laughs> And uh, we look forward to the great things that are in the pipeline um, for, for you guys. And we look forward to getting you back on the showroom at some point too. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. Thank you. The showroom is your go-to for the latest car news and releases, but we do have other pods on cars for you to enjoy. There's What's Under the Bonnet, the electric car podcast that Nadine Armstrong and I do, and that has been a great journey of discovery for me. I'm really enjoying that one as well. Our crazy mate, Anthony Matafari, takes a bit of recording gear with him and sits in the passenger seat alongside celebs who thankfully do the driving. That is along for the ride. Grant Denyer's in there, Matt Shervington, Katie Williams, Steve Price, and many more. So very, very entertaining stuff. And recently, our good friend, Erin Molan, has been asking the questions that we all kind of want to know, but when we're too busy with our daily lives to also be a guru on cars. So everything you auto know, everything you ought to know around maintenance, care of the second biggest purchase that most of us will ever make in our lifetime. All part of the awesome offering of podcasts from carsales.com.au. We've got our teeth into some great stuff this episode, so why don't we breeze through a couple of other headlines that have caught our attention for this episode. Dozens of new models, sinkers, everything from kind of uh, CX-3 to Toyota Prado, about to lose ANCAP safety ratings. Yeah, ANCAP works on a system that uh, basically the existing model and its testing can only last so long in terms of a rating. Make sure that essentially a five-star car is still a five-star car. So, yeah, a bunch of them are going to time out. Interestingly, a lot of those models are due for um, renewal. You know, brand new Prado we think is 24-25, but that's going to be important because it's such a big car for Toyota in this country. Now, you talked about it with Enios there before, just in relation to the whole agency model, right? Some of them, like Mercedes and Honda, have gone down this path. Volvo is ruling out this approach. Is that right? Yeah, for the time being. We caught up with Jim Rowan, who's the global head of Volvo Cars, and a really interesting guy, Scott, funnily enough. There we go. We've got uh, coming back to Scotland again. He said, basically, they're going to have a look at it in the UK and Sweden first, see if it works but not saying there's any real change here. Volvo's a brand that's going all electric. 
sooner than rather than later. And we've we've spoken to um, Volvo people on on our other podcasts. I think it's going to be interesting to see where that brand evolves in this marketplace. I'm going to have a look at it, laddie. And now uh, <laughs> let's talk a little motor racing. We tend not to do the, these sort of subjects. Greg McRust. Yes, that's it. <laughs> uh, in our podcast here, but uh, Calder Park. Return to racing, this is uh, one that, I mean, there's so much history in that place, isn't there? Yeah, it's pretty hard to ignore the fact that Calder's wanting to get back on the calendar. So, you know, the the Janes, um, obviously, second, third generation, what is it of the Janes? Rodney and Kim. Yep. Rodney and Kim, cousins. So um, they are basically putting their own money back into getting that place up and running. It's still pretty scruffy. Um, lots of work being done. Our good friend Mark Walker just had a look at it out there and who knows, we might see a state round there this year. Never know. He is a, a diehard, Mark, and you'll often see him at all sorts of things from Bathurst 12-hour to club meets and more. Great uh, great piece there. Now, in between eps of the podcast, best place, best place for you to stay up to date. Tell your friends about it as well. Only place to go and a great place if you're considering buying a car too, carsales.com.au. When it came to kind of classifieds that grabbed our attention this month, um, 2022 Toyota Land Cruiser GXL, this thing, uh, double cab on steroids. It's got everything. And I think the opening line of the ad sinkers was confidently introducing Australia's best Land Cruiser. What kind of number do you reckon this thing will go for? And does it sort of lead us to the whole any else discussion because this person's customised a really, really cool thing, haven't they? This is an amazing looking vehicle and the price tag is equally amazing. By the time you um, get it on road, it's going to be close to 300 grand. But if you have a look at the level of engineering in this thing, I would love to go and have a look at it firsthand. I don't particularly want to drive it, mm. but I certainly want to have a look at it. It's got everything from portal axles and that's a system via which basically um, you – How's the best way to describe it to people? You pretty much put a gear set on the end of each axle and and push the wheels down and out. Mm. And uh, if anybody remembers that Top Gear program where they drove to the North Pole, those Hiluxes had portal axles. So imagine that. This thing, you know, it is a Land Rover on steroids. It's wider track. It's got every conceivable modification that anybody who wants to go overland could really, really wish for. Uh, Amazing looking thing. And... Yeah, it does go to that point where, you know, we were talking to Justin earlier about, uh, you know, people who are overlanding, people who take a four-wheel drive and use it as their, I guess, a blank canvas. This one's absolutely, if that was, we start with a blank canvas, this is a Van Gogh. Definitely. 6,384 Ks on the clock. Go and check it out by going to the car sales website. Just looking at the pictures as we talk here while we're recording the podcast, it looks like if Armageddon happens, this person is covered. <laughs> yeah, it's the full zombie apocalypse escape vehicle, isn't it? Absolutely. We're out of time. What is coming up in the next month for you? Come on, what's on? What's in the diary? I'm um, just having a look here and I can't see, oh, yeah, well, I was going to say I can't see a lot on, but apparently I'm getting married. You can't, that, that is a big moment in the diary, <laughs> diary, Mike. That means there's a lot going on. Yeah, I better put that line in red, I think. Yes. You got a little car for this mission. What are we driving away from the ceremony in. Well, that's, I think that's the only thing I had to organise and I'd better get on to that. You haven't done that? No. <laughs> it's just in time. Just in time. <laughs> 
we're going to go because the boss needs to go and organise a car that he can uh, start a beautiful, beautiful new life together with. That's wonderful, mate. That's that's the best news of this podcast. Yes, the wonderful Sunny uh, apparently is uh, weakened and she's going to marry me. So anyway, it's only been a while. Congrats. All right, we look forward to uh, hearing what he drives away in and we look forward to you joining us on any of the podcasts that are available courtesy of uh, Car Sales and Parked Up here at Listener, ready to go for you to enjoy. On behalf of all the team, we'll catch you next time. Bye for now. A Listener Production.